Good morning. Good morning. Uh, ohayou uh, Welcome uh, to Calvary Chapel, Iwakuni. Great to be here with you guys to praise and worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, um, believe it or not, uh, ready or not, uh, Christmas is a week away. Um, and it's uh, coming. I feel like the month of December has really flown by uh, in our household with a lot of different things going on. Um, and really, I um, wrestled a little bit with what we should do for our time together this morning. As was mentioned during announcements, we do plan on having a Sunday service next week. Uh, on Christmas Day, will be a family service in the afternoon, 1 o'clock, 1300, uh, for you uh, military folks. Um, and it will be a shorter than normal service, an hour, as we have most of the kids with us here in the sanctuary. Uh, we also have our Christmas Eve service this Saturday night. Uh, that will be a night of uh, Christmas carols, worship, and scripture reading. And so I was, you know, considering our options, uh, the season before us, the opportunities that we had to get into the Word before Christmas Day, you know, I just felt led maybe to, to take a break from our regular verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke in order to take some time to prepare us uh, for this upcoming uh, Christmas celebration. And so this morning we're going to take a, uh, a little bit uh, of a detour Okay, and we are going to be looking at a very uh, familiar portion of Scripture, uh, but one that really never really grows old. Um, It's good for us to take time to remember what Christmas really is uh, all about. We can easily get caught up in, you know, the hustle and bustle, as they say, of the season. You know, all of the uh, Christmas decorations that we put up and, you know, the uh, holiday parties and uh, the gift shopping and and all the like. And, And sometimes we can lose focus. And so I just thought, you know what? Instead of waiting till Christmas Day to do a Christmas message, we'll do a Christmas message on Christmas Day as well. I'm just thought, uh, let's take an opportunity now just to prepare ourselves for this next coming week and really what we're celebrating uh, this year, okay? So if you have your Bibles with you uh, this morning, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 1, okay? Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to reach down. A number of the chairs around you have Bibles. You can borrow one of those if you'd like. Um, Our text this morning is going to be Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and the title of our message is going to be A Good Name, okay? A Good Name. Will you all rise to your feet in honor of God and His Word? Okay, I'm going to read the entirety of our text, Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and uh, then uh, I just want to encourage you guys to follow along, okay? I'll be reading from the New King James Version. If you're reading from a different translation, uh, just do your best. Uh, to read in your uh, Bible as we go through. So Matthew records the following for us in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, Then it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, uh, the opportunity that we have to be reminded of the account that some of the details of your coming in the form of a babe. Uh, Lord, may our hearts and may our minds uh, be refreshed. Um, And Lord, may we be reminded of why we celebrate Christmas in the first place, why this is such an important time for us as believers. Lord, this is a familiar portion of Scripture. It's a story and an account we've read many times, no doubt. But Lord, give us just a fresh set of eyes, a fresh set of ears and an open heart to receive all that you'd have for us this morning. Lead and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Names are very important. Um, They carry a deep personal, uh, sometimes cultural, uh, maybe familial and historic connections. They give us a sense of who we are, uh, the communities in which we belong, our overall place in the world. You know, in the Bible, the giving of a name was something that was very important. Often uh, times, names would not be given until after a baby has been born and the parents have had opportunity to observe the baby. Even today, some Jews will not formally announce the Hebrew name of their child until after the first week uh, of their life. And this gives opportunity for the parents to, you know, maybe filter through some names to see if the name really fits the character and the personality uh, of their newborn child. In the Bible, we read of names that were given based upon events that transpired during or soon after birth. Uh, For instance, on Wednesday nights, we've been making our way through the book of Genesis. And recently, we've been studying the life of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, You may recall how Isaac, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, uh, and his wife, Rebecca, uh, they were pregnant with twins. And when it came time to deliver the babies, two boys were birthed. And the first boy came out red and hairy, and so they decided they'd name him Esau, which if you look at the name of that mean name, it just means hairy. And so it's like, wow, this kid, he's hairy. All right, well, that's what we're going to name him then, Esau it is. Um, and then when Esau was born, it was observed that the other baby inside the womb had grabbed a hold of his heel as uh, Esau was being birthed, and so therefore they named that baby Jacob which can be translated as one who takes the heel, uh, heel catcher. And so, um, you know, this idea of things that happen right at birth, oh, we're going we're gonna to wait to name our kids based upon what happens. And, and we'll use that as a reminder of this incredible uh, blessing of, of birth. Okay? We also read in the Bible of times where people's names were changed after the fact, okay, based upon a major event in their life, uh, different circumstances that came about. Uh, In the book of Genesis, we have Abram, which means exalted father. His name was later changed by the Lord to Abraham, which uh, means father of a multitude or father of many nations. And God came and changed his name um, and promised to make 
Abraham an exceedingly fruitful man and was to make of him many nations. And so that's why the name changed to Abraham. Also in the book of Genesis, we just covered this actually about a week and a half ago, uh, Jacob's name was changed to Israel after wrestling with the Lord all night long there in Genesis chapter 32. Even in the New Testament, we have Simon, who was given the new, new name of Peter by our Lord Jesus when he told him, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Because the name Peter means rock or, or stone. And so there was a play on words, and he says, hey, you know, yeah, you're Simon, but now we're going to call you Peter, you know. And um, Saul of Tarsus he later became known as Paul the Apostle, as the Lord sent him out to minister to the Gentile world. It's actually believed that Saul was his Hebrew name and Paul was his Roman name. You see, Paul was uh, Jewish by ethnicity, but he was born a Roman citizen. And so he would have uh, two names. But uh, as a very zealous uh, Jew and Hebrew, one who followed the very strictest of the laws, he went around priding himself after his Hebrew name, Saul. And, uh, you know, we read about Saul and him going around persecuting the Christians, and he felt he was serving God and just, you know, was this champion for the Lord as he went and persecuted all these people who were following this new way. But after the Lord got a hold of his heart and changed him, subsequently sent him out to the Gentiles and to the Roman world, he no longer went by Saul, but he went by his Roman name of Paul. And so uh, not necessarily a name change. He had that name, but definitely something where Paul said, I no longer want to be called and referred to as Saul. That's the old person. I'm a new person, and I want to be referred simply to as Paul. Names in the Bible are also used to speak God's message to his people. Okay, names were used as signs of what was to come. They were used to identify missions the Lord was going to work through individual people or through a people group, you know, speaking to the Jewish people. For instance, the Lord had Isaiah name his son Sherayashub, uh, which means a remnant shall re return. Uh, speaking about those who would return from the captivity. His name was used to bring hope to the people that all would not be lost, that there would be some that would return after the captivity. The prophet Hosea, he gave names to three of his children as ways to proclaim God's message to the Jewish people. His firstborn son was named Jezreel, for the Lord said, In a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Hosea 1.4. Uh, Hosea also had a daughter, okay, and he named his daughter Lo-Ruhamah, uh, for the Lord declared, I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away, because the name Lo-Ruhamah means no mercy. And, uh, you know, so... He had a daughter, and her name wasn't... Mercy would be a nice, pretty name, maybe, but it, it was no mercy. Um, not so great, okay? Um, Jose actually had a third child uh, as well, and he bore uh, a son, or was, uh, and that son was named Loami. For God declared to the people, you are not my people, and I will not be your God. The name Loami means not my people. And so how'd you like that? If you're, your son, your dad says, not my people, okay? Um, be glad that your dad was not Hosea, okay? Um, and so the giving of names and having a good name is something that's very important. 
Even today, you know, the giving of names is something that we place a lot of value upon. Uh, whether we name our children after loved ones, you know, in our, uh, who have passed, maybe uh, significant people in our lives who've played just a major role in molding and shaping who we are. Maybe we've just had certain names that we've always liked and we've always wanted to use. Be like, oh, I, I've always liked this name. And if we ever have a, ch- a, a boy or a girl, I, I have a girl name that I was like, oh, if we have a girl, I want to name, but five sons. So never happened. <laughs> um, so, you know, Farah and I, we wanted to choose names for our sons that were biblical names, but that weren't super common names, um, names that would make uh, some of our non-Christian family members and friends maybe ask, where, you know, where'd you get that name from? And there's a lot of great Bible names, okay? Like if your name's David or Matthew or John, you know, those are great Bible names. But people aren't going to be like, oh, where'd you get that name from? Because they're pretty common, right? But we wanted to pick names that would be like, oh, I've never heard that name, um, at least for non-believers. And so we thought, oh, this would be a great opportunity to tell people about the Lord and tell people about where we got these names from. Um, and so the Lord ended up blessing us, as I mentioned, with five sons. We were able to choose names that we felt fit our own criteria. Sometimes we focused on the character of a particular Bible name. At other times, we focused upon the meaning of the name. Sometimes we named them based upon circumstances and life events. And with one, yeah, I won't name which one uh, because it is a, actually a bit of a sore subject in our household. Um, but with one, we hit all of the marks. We felt like, yeah, we got it all, like, you know, biblical character, you know, meaning of the name, circumstances in life. It was really great. I shared this once before, and my kids gave me a really hard time about how their name was inferior, and so I don't, I'm not going to go into the details and say who's who, but, you know. Suffice to say, uh, we had a lot of opportunities to get it right, and we were blessed uh, to have five sons. Um, You know, when you think of the word name, we obviously associate that with what we call a person, but the word name can also be reflective of one's overall reputation, right? We can have a good name, meaning that we have a good reputation, and People can have a bad name, right? And it's like, ah, oh, you know, not so good of a reputation, right? Proverbs 22.1 states that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. You know, today in our text, we're going to consider both elements of the names of the people in our account, what their name means, hey, but also we're going to talk about the reputation that was at stake for some of these individuals in our account. And we're going to take a look at Mary first off in verse 18. So look at verse 18 again with me. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. We'll stop right there. Here in our opening verse, we are introduced to two of the main characters in the birth of Christ as we read about his mother Mary and her being betrothed to Joseph. Now, understanding what it means to be betrothed to someone is very important to the overall understanding of what is taking place here in the scriptures. A betrothal was part of an agreement that had been entered into by two people, really two families, who had plans to be married, to come together. In a sense, it was kind of like what we call an engagement today, but uh, there are some differences. Um, the overall commitment and status of a betrothal was much more serious than our modern-day engagements. 
In fact, to the Jewish people in that day, betrothal was equivalent to marriage, except that the man and woman did not live together, nor were they to be involved in any uh, sexual relations. They were actually called husband and wife as they were betrothed. As we read in our scriptures uh, this morning, they referred to as wife, uh, husband. And so uh, they were treated legally as such. Uh, In fact, In order to back out of a betrothal, the husband would actually have to file for and submit a certificate of divorce. Uh, Without one, it was impossible to end a betrothal. It wasn't like, you know what, this just isn't really working out. We thought this, but now we're just going to go our separate ways. We haven't, you know, said the I do's yet, and so we can go ahead and and separate. No, 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 no. Like, you're betrothed. You need to file for divorce within this uh, setting. So a little bit different than an engagement. At the end of the betrothal period, which usually would last about a year, the groom would come for his bride and take her to be with him, and they would then consummate the marriage. And usually that year was important because that year basically gave opportunity to say, look, she is not pregnant, okay? She has abstained uh, from sexual relations, and so here's proof as it is, you know, she's lived a year, we've been betrothed together, she's not pregnant, and so uh, it was a way to, you know, show uh, in in a way to, um, that you were pure and you had maintained that purity. Now, their union together would bring an end to the betrothal status, and it would begin their being bound to one another uh, in marriage. Now, at this time in our text, we have to understand that Mary and Joseph are in the middle of the betrothal period which means they are, though referred to as husband and wife here, they have not consummated the marriage, they have not come together uh, as uh, normal husband and wife would do, okay? And this is a very important fact for us to consider in light of what we read here in verse 18 about Mary being found with child, okay? Mary's pregnant. Um, now, Mary's pregnancy could have turned into a very, very big problem for Mary, Okay? If not for the angel that visited her and told her beforehand that was, this was going to happen, this could have been a bad, bad, bad thing. We know that from Luke's gospel, and when we read the other uh, accounts, we know that an angel actually came to Mary and informed her of this pregnancy that would come upon her. The appearing of the angel to her and his words to her were something that initially troubled her, caused her great fear. Mary didn't quite understand what was going on and how she could become pregnant and deliver a baby seeing as how she was a virgin and had not yet known a man. And that's when the angel informed her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you in Luke 1.35. It says, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And after hearing the explanation given to her from the angel, Mary's heart was set at ease and she declared, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And we're told in our text that this pregnancy was of the Holy Spirit. This, of course, is speaking of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The virgin birth is the belief that Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit without the agency of a human father, and that Jesus was born while Mary was yet a virgin. The doctrine of the virgin birth is very important to our faith. It is a a very uh, firm 
stance, okay? It's not just one of those things like, oh, yeah, you know, you have to kind of believe that. You don't have to believe. If you don't believe in the a virgin birth, it really begins to tear things down in regards to who Jesus is, all right? So the virgin birth is a very important uh, doctrinal standing for us as Christians, okay? Jesus had a human mother, but he did not have a human father, Due to his unique conception, Jesus, as the babe in the manger, was 100% God and 100% man. The virgin birth is what allows Jesus to stand in the gap as representative of man and at the same time being God who is without sin. Okay, if you don't have that, well, then you don't have a Savior, okay? You don't have someone that can save us from our sins. And so this is a very important doctrinal stand. So Mary's pregnancy, it was miraculously brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary was chosen by God to bring forth his son. What an incredible blessing. What an incredible privilege for her to be considered that God would choose you to be the mother of God's son. What an amazing thing. And yet, at the same time, somewhat of a very awkward and, and difficult situation, right? Mary is betrothed to Joseph. They plan on being married and spending the rest of their lives together. You know, what will Joseph think about this pregnancy? What will others think about this pregnancy? Though in the sight of God, Mary was highly favored, and Luke tells us that she was highly favored. What will others see in Mary's pregnancy? You know, Mary's name, her reputation, right, was on the line here. You know, pregnancies outside of marriage were a huge deal uh, in that day. Sadly, not so much today. Very common today. Uh, But back then, it was a very major offense. Um, If Mary tried to explain herself and tell people that God had visited her and that the child forming within her womb was the Son of God and that she was still a virgin, how many people would actually believe that story? I, I, I would doubt that there would be very many people that would believe that story, right? It would even seem that Mary didn't even tell her betrothed husband of these details based upon what we know of in the rest of our account. He didn't come out until it's like he observes it and sees she's starting to show and is the mindset. Uh, Many people believe that it wasn't until after she went and spent three months with Elizabeth and came back that Joseph's like, whoa, (laughs) you're pregnant (laughs) uh, type of a thing. So what can we gather about this situation? And what can we learn from regarding the situation Mary finds herself in? You see, as was the case for Mary, there may be times in our life when God wants to do something really amazing in, in our life, perhaps even something miraculous, but it may come with the risk of looking like a fool to those around us. It may come at the expense of our own name. It may come at the expense of our own reputation amongst others. And we will be forced to make the decision of whether or not we will allow what others may say or what others may think to keep us from what God wants for us. There are many today who, because of fear of what others may say or what others may think, they keep their faith to themselves, or worse yet, they will not come to faith in the first place. Well, what do the people say? What will the guys say? What will you know, my family and friends say? You know, they know what kind of person I was before, and you know, they just don't want to talk about it, or they're even scared to put their faith in the Lord. 
Mary was willing to overcome what others may say or what others may think to be used by God in an amazing way. She didn't let what others may say or think keep her from what God wanted to do in and through her. Those external fears did not limit her. And I hope that we would be able to do the same. That we wouldn't allow external fears of what others may say or what others may think keep us from fully surrendering and submitting ourselves to the Lord and His plan for our lives. Well, Let's turn our attention now to that of Joseph. In verse 19, it says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, according to verse 19, Joseph was a just man, a righteous man, your translation may read. He was faithful. He was upright. Joseph already had a good name for himself. Okay? He was known as a just man, a man that could be trusted to do that which was right in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of the Lord. And he becomes aware of Mary's pregnancy and he's faced with a dilemma. Okay? What should he do? <laughs> How should he respond to this situation? The woman that he loves and is pledged to marry and spend the rest of his life with is all of a sudden pregnant, and he knows that's not my child. <laughs> what is he to do? How would you respond in that situation? <laughs> Put yourself in, in Joseph's sandals for a second here and consider the situation yourself. It, it's a difficult place to be in, right? A situation that would be very challenging to know what to do. It would definitely cause you to rethink things. It would cause you to consider uh, all your options. As Joseph pondered this situation, there were a couple of avenues that he could have went down. Number one, okay, Joseph could have publicly brought Mary before the religious leaders, and he could have charged her with sexual immorality, potentially putting a death sentence upon her. The law prescribed that if a woman betrothed to a husband was found to not be a virgin within you know, that year betrothal period, all of a sudden it's like, uh, you're, you're pregnant. Okay, if that was found to be, well, the woman would be brought out in front of her father's house, and there she would be stoned to death for doing such a disgraceful thing, playing the harlot in her father's house. Deuteronomy 22, verse 21 tells us that. Joseph, number two could have privately put her away by giving her a certificate of divorce. That's what's implied by in our text here. That would only require two witnesses to be deemed legal. Uh, Deuteronomy 24 speaks of the details behind how a man can put away a woman by writing her a certificate of divorce. Or number three, well, Joseph could have just continued his relationship with Mary as if nothing had changed. You know, it's like, okay, this is a new situation, but it doesn't change my love for you, my commitment to you, and uh, yeah, I still want to just move forward, right? Um, he could have, you know, just stuck by her side and, and went through this time of great testing and stretching together. Now, verse 19 tells us that, that Joseph was leaning toward option number two, okay? That he was going to privately and quietly put Mary away uh, by writing her a certificate of divorce. He didn't want to bring her before the religious leaders. He didn't want to see her blasted or, or shamed or anything like that. But he was kind of thinking, uh, I think I want to distance myself from this. I'll just put her away quietly and move on. Well, 
That was what he was thinking to do, but let's read and see what happens in verse 20 and 21. It says, but while he thought about these things, you know, how to respond, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As Joseph pondered the decision to make, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and informed him of the nature of Mary's pregnancy, that it was of the Holy Spirit. The angel comforted Joseph by telling him not to be afraid of taking Mary to be his wife. Obviously, you guys, Joseph was afraid. He was fearful. He was afraid of taking Mary to be his wife. But what did he have to fear, if we think about it? Well, public shame and disgrace in the eyes of those around him. He had earned himself a good reputation, among others. We were told he was a just man. People looked at Joseph and they said, yeah, that's a, that Joseph, he's a good guy. You know, you can trust him to do the right thing, right? He had earned himself that good name a man who did what was right, how would staying with Mary and continuing his betrothal to a pregnant woman impact that good name, that overall reputation that he had built? You know, as we look at Joseph's situation, I think we can glean something here for us as well. The angel told Joseph not to be afraid. And that's something that stood out to me. We don't have to fear what God wants to do in our life. Joseph had had built up a good reputation for himself one that he feared he could lose, one he feared would be damaged by taking Mary as his wife. But Joseph didn't have to fear. God was at work. God would actually elevate his name. Whatever kind of standing he had amongst society okay, as a whole, God would then elevate it and raise it. For Joseph, by staying with Mary, he will forever be remembered as the earthly father figure responsible for helping to raise God's one and only begotten son. Forever, Joseph's name is united with the account of God's son being sent to this world. And so whatever level of respect or esteem he had put upon his name, what he had built into his name, God took it to a different, totally different level, right? Raised it. We don't need to fear God ruining a good name or a reputation. If anything, our relationship to God and our submission to him will only bring more good to our name. He is good, okay? If it ruins your reputation, it's probably because you had a bad reputation, okay? Um, And so the name of God being placed on you is not something we need to fear. As we'll see, Joseph didn't let his own internal fears keep him from what God wanted to do in and through him. And I think it's a great exhortation for us as well that we would not allow those internal fears and doubts uh, keep us from following after the Lord and allowing him just to do uh, whatever he desires to do in and through us. In verse 21, the angel informs Joseph that the son that will be born to Mary is to be named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the Greek um, version of the Old Testament name of Joshua. Uh, The Hebrew pronounce it as Yeshua. And uh, the name in Hebrew means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. Okay, the name of Jesus is very important for us to understand because his name identifies for us his mission, what he will do. 
Okay? God told Joseph to name the baby Jesus because God was going to use him to bring about his plan of salvation, his plan of redemption. Jesus was to be the Savior of the world. An angel of the Lord proclaimed to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flock by night, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, okay, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus' mission in life was to become our Savior. He was born to save us from the penalty of our sins. You see, we all have a very big problem, a nightmare of problems. Okay? Each and every single one of us, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us. And our sin, it separates us from God, according to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. And our sins not only separate us from God relationally, but they also lead to only one possible conclusion, according to the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we are told that the wages, wages of sin is death, okay? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of our sin is death. There is no way around it. We cannot pay this debt with any sort of material funds. We are spiritually bankrupt. Okay? The penalty against our sins is insurmountable on our own. But Jesus has come to save us from the penalty of our sins. Okay? Well, how can he do that? How is he able to save us? Okay. Well, we see in the next verse, let's read it, verse 22 and 23. It says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Here, Matthew quotes from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, to be exact, where Isaiah prophesied of the virgin birth. Interestingly enough, Isaiah said they would call his name Emmanuel, not Jesus. And so some might look at that and say, well, is this a contradiction in the Bible? Should Joseph have named Jesus Emmanuel instead? No, not at all, okay? Emmanuel does not refer to a proper name in this sense, but rather something he will be referred to as a title of sorts. Jesus will be referred to under a number of different titles according to Scripture. Okay? According to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, Jesus would be called Wonderful, Counselor, okay? uh, Everlasting Father, a Mighty King, Prince of Peace, Jesus called himself the bread of life in John chapter 6, verse 35. He called himself the light of the world in John chapter 8, verse 12. The good shepherd in John chapter 10, verse 14. He calls himself the resurrection and the life in John 11, verse 25, adding, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. In John 14, 6, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. In the book of Revelation, he said that he was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. None of these titles are meant to be used as a proper name for Jesus. They are titles and descriptions of who he is, of what his character is, what his nature is. The name Jesus described Jesus' mission 
okay? What he was to do to save us from our sins. But the name Emmanuel describes his nature, who he is. He is God with us. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, a little uh, further down in chapter 1, John writes this, he says, And the Word, referring to that same Word from John 1, 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and and truth. Jesus is the word of God that became flesh, and he came and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is God, and that is how he's able to save us. God alone is able to save us from our sins because he alone could meet the righteous requirements of the law. No human being could ever live up to the full demands of the law. It took God coming down in the form of a babe and living here amongst us, experiencing the same trials that we experience, experiencing the same temptations that we go through, and yet overcoming, not falling to the sin. God came and he lived a sinless life, and then he turned around and surrendered that life upon the cross, and he died in our place. God the Son, hey, allowed himself to take on the sins of all humanity. He bore the weight of all our sin when he went to the cross. He suffered and he died for us. Jesus came and he dwelt among us so that he could die for us and take away the penalty of our sins. And then three days later, we're told that he rose again back to life. He defeated sin and death. He overcame the grave. His payment upon the cross for our sins was accepted by God the Father, and now salvation is offered to us freely through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 clearly declares, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans also teaches us that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, the gospel message of God sending his only son to live and die among us is really what this Christmas season is all about. Christmas is about Jesus and his mission to save us. It is about him coming and being with us and ultimately providing for us our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins. That is the emphasis of Christmas. That is why we celebrate this day. (laughs) Our sin problem and the penalty against us can all be wiped away through faith in Jesus Christ. Our place in heaven and spending eternity with the Lord are realized through simple faith in the Lord because Jesus came. Through placing our belief in the work of Christ upon the cross of Calvary, confessing our need for Him, we can have our sins forgiven. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Okay? Let's look at our final verses here before we wrap things up. Verses 24 and 25, it says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. 
Joseph, he awoke from his sleep and he did exactly what the Lord had commanded him to do. He took Mary to be his wife. He named Mary's firstborn son, Jesus. Joseph had a reputation for doing the right thing. And that's exactly what he did here again in these last two verses. In simple obedience, he followed through with what the Lord had for him. He put away any thoughts of giving Mary a certificate of divorce, and he simply trusted God to do something great, to do something miraculous, amazing. He didn't argue with the Lord over what others may say or what others may think. He didn't try to figure out a way to explain things, to protect his own reputation. He just submitted himself to the Lord, and he trusted in God's plan. What a great example for us to follow. We too have been called to walk in in simple obedience to Christ, to submit ourselves to Him, and to live our lives for Him. And my hope for us is that this Christmas and every day really may be ones that we walk in simple obedience to all that God has for each and every one of us. You know, as we consider the names and the reputations of Mary and Joseph and how they took a sudden sharp turn when God stepped in with a plan of His own, we learn some important things about our own walk with the Lord. We learn about how Mary didn't let the external fears of what others may say or think keep her from what the Lord wanted to do in and through her, and we should follow in her example, not allowing external fears of what people may say or think or do keep us from what God wants to do in and through us. We learn about Joseph and how he didn't let his own internal fears keep him from doing what the Lord wanted to do in and through him. And just like Mary, we want to follow in Joseph's footsteps as well, not allowing internal fears and doubts and struggles to keep us from what the Lord wants to do in and through us. Mary and Joseph both learned to trust in the Lord and what he was doing. They needed to submit themselves before the Lord and let him lead and guide their life. And they did so through simple obedience. And what a great example they are for us, that we would just follow in simple obedience. But Mary and Joseph aren't the only names that we looked at this morning. We also looked at the name of God's son, Jesus Christ. God had a plan that he had put together even before the beginning of time, a redemption plan. God knew that man, his very own creation, would need saving. He knew that Adam was going to blow it there in the garden and that we all would blow it. And that we would sin and that we would need someone to take care of the penalty of our sins. And so that very first Christmas was God putting into motion His redemption plan for us. God's desire is that the Christmas season would be a time of salvation, a time where man's greatest needs would finally be met, a time where His Son would enter into this world as a human in the form of a babe with the mission of offering salvation for all of humanity. But here's the thing. God didn't just want to save us and leave it at that, right? We're also reminded that he actually wanted to be with us as well. And I think that speaks uh, uh, of that relationship God wants to have with us. Saving us is one thing, but desiring to be with us is another. God's desire for Christmas is that we would not only be saved, but that we would enjoy a close, intimate, personal relationship with him. Christ is about God's desire to be with us. That, that's the title, Emmanuel, God with us. That, that's what we're celebrating is that God wants to be with you and, and me. That's what Christmas is about. It's about receiving the gift of salvation. It's about be, God being with us. 
And so make sure that, you know, whatever your desires are for this Christmas and, you know, in this final last week before Christmas finally comes and all the different things that you've got going on on your calendar, I hope and pray that that your plans would include spending time with the Lord, being with Him, and that it would include praising Him for the salvation that He brings. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. No matter what our names may have used to be, now they are associated with the righteousness of Christ. Not because of anything we did, not because of anything that we earned, but simply because of what Christ has done and what Christ has earned on our behalf. Our name could have been mud before the Lord. Some of us have maybe a a checkered past, okay? But in Christ, we are washed, we are cleansed, we are forgiven, and we are justified by our faith in the Lord. And for that, we can all celebrate and rejoice this Christmas season. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending him to save us from our sins. And Lord, we thank you for this special time of year that we set aside time to remember your coming, to remember the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, the salvation that he offers. And I pray, Lord, that every person here has received that gift. And Lord, that if there's any here this morning who have yet to receive that gift, that today would be the day of salvation. Christmas is about salvation. Uh, that's what, it, at its root, it's God sending His Son to save humanity. May we understand that significance. May we be yielded to that. And Lord, for those who are of us who are saved, Lord, may we make sure that we set aside time to be with You. Christmas is about God coming and being with us. And Lord, it's amazing that you desire to still be with us. You desire a personal, intimate relationship with us. So Lord, I pray that you would just be at the forefront of any of our celebrations, that you would be honored and glorified. And Lord, we pray that whatever our name may have been, whatever we may have built our name up to be, Lord, we would set those things upon the altar, Lord, and we would just want to be named after you, that we want to name the name of Christ and let everything else fall where it may. And so, Lord, lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.